Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in two areas of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we'll begin today, and Mark chapter 3. Once again, Ephesians chapter 4, Mark chapter 3. Now, as you were coming into the auditorium, quite possibly you noticed the big purple sign behind you. Uh, This is initiating our holiday outreach because we believe that we are a house of prayer. We want to initiate our holiday outreach by each one of us praying for one person that we know that does not know the Lord. And as you can see, we've already almost filled up our uh, 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 banner in the back with names. We're actually going to be adding two new banners on either side as we continue through the course of our studies together. But what we'd like to do today as we open in prayer is for you to initiate the holiday season. Yes, Thanksgiving and Christmas are upon us. And as we prepare for the holiday season, there's no greater way for us to reach our friends and family that don't know Jesus than by beginning in prayer. So you'll see in the seat back pocket a label. And on that label, there are a spot for you to enter one of maybe five different names. And so as you can see, each label is there, and I've put a name on each one. And you may only have one person that you're praying for, and we would love for you to just pray for one person that you know that does not know the Lord. At the end of the services today, I'm going to ask you to take the name that you've written on in this service and go ahead and stick it on the banner, stick the label on the banner in the back to be a reminder to us that we are a house of prayer and we are praying for someone whom we don't someone whom we uh, know does not know the Lord. So as we begin our prayer time today, you pray through, take out that pencil, and you take out that label, and you write a name there at the end of our service, place it onto the banner, and then we will initiate our holiday outreach in prayer as you pray for one person that you know that does not know the Lord, that they would come to know the Lord this holiday season. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord. And listen, if you're listening online, I also like to say you can place your name on the chat and we will put your name on the banner for you. I know some of you are not in state and so we want to speak directly to uh, those listening online. Go ahead and put your name on the chat as we pray and we'll make sure to put your name on the banner. Why don't we go to the Lord now in prayer? Father, I believe that you want to see hundreds, if not thousands, of people come to Christ this holiday season. For some reason, your Spirit pours out every Christmas and every Easter, and people feel the need to go to church. That's your Spirit. And I pray that as we cast the fishing net, Lord, that you would catch, Lord, people that need to know you. 
And so we as a church are going to commit to prayer one person, each of us praying for one. And I ask that you would use us to minister the gospel, to invite them to a service. Because, Lord, there are places in L.A. and Southern California that I will never have the opportunity to reach. But you have given us thousands of people that have scattered all over this county, all over Southern California, who are in contact with people that don't know you each and every day. And so we pray for them and we ask God that as you give us that name, that we would be in daily prayer for that person. Father, now as we study your word, I pray that you would give us insight. You'd give us understanding. Thank you for this faithful 1230 service. Would you bless us now with your knowledge in Jesus' name? Amen. We've been taking the time to learn the character of our Jesus, the Jesus whom we follow. We learned when we went out for dinner with him that there's a a righteousness and a peace and a joy in the Holy Spirit with Jesus. We learned as well that he cares for us, that we can cast all of our cares upon him because he does care for us. And now, Pastor Mark, the gospel according to Mark, he wants us to learn how to do ministry from Jesus. Pastor Mark's a teacher. And as a teacher, he wants to express to us the way and the manner of which we should do ministry. That's what pastors do. Ephesians chapter 4, would you take a look at verse 11? Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. God gave Pastor Mark the ability to teach for the equipping and edifying of the body (coughs) for the work of the ministry. That's why Mark is expressing to us the manner of which Jesus did ministry. He wants us to learn how to fulfill our ministry. That's exactly what Paul would tell Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, you'll see it on the screen. Paul tells Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Well, that's an exhortation to each and every one of us to fulfill the ministry that Jesus has given to us. So let's learn from Pastor Mark about Jesus and the way that he did the ministry. Go back with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 7. Three simple points today. The first one is this. Do the work of the ministry. Do the work of the ministry. Verse 7, Jesus has just ministered, and he has ministered to the man with the withered hand. He's healed him on the Sabbath, and now he's uh, got some enemies that want to destroy him. The Herodians and the Pharisees have gathered together to figure out a way to end the ministry of Jesus. But take a look what Jesus does in verse 7. But Jesus withdrew. He withdrew with his disciples to the sea. In other words, while they're plotting to destroy him, he simply goes far away from them. That's what the word withdrew meant. But a great multitude from Galilee followed him, from Judea and Jerusalem. And Idumea beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, Paul call, I mean Mark calls them a great multitude when they heard how many things he was doing came to him. 
This is the year of the ministry of Jesus where he's popular. And people are coming to him from everywhere, Jews and Gentiles. And the Bible calls them a great multitude. It was a large crowd that followed him that when he withdrew down to the sea, they left Capernaum, they left their cities, and they just followed Jesus. Verse 9. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. Now I changed my voice on purpose. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him know. The ministry has grown tremendously From the time that Jesus started, oh, about 12 to 16 months prior to this moment, when he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. From that one sermon, now 12 to 16 months later, there's a great multitude following him. He doesn't allow the threat of the enemy to stop him from ministry. No, he simply withdraws from them strategically, and the multitudes follow. He doesn't allow the problem of plenty to overwhelm him. That's not what Jesus does. No, he just ministers to everyone that is placed before him. But the crowd has grown so big, Jesus makes a plan. And he says, hey, put a boat out so that I don't get crushed from this large crowd that's surrounding me. Jesus was very strategic. So were we. We learned from Jesus. Do you know how many months it takes to plan Harvest Fest? We don't just show up on October 31st and put this whole thing together. No, we follow the example of Jesus and we have meetings and we tell, let's put the boat out in the water. We try to see what problem there might be and we try to prevent that problem by coming up with a ministry so that we're not crushed by a problem. We decided that we didn't want anyone with masks showing up, especially with masks holding a play rifle. It just wouldn't go over great in our culture. So we made a decision that anyone that would show up with a mask, that we had a special place that we had developed where you could get your face painted instead of wearing that mask, and we'll just hold on to that rifle for you, and we're going to make you not a mask person, we're going to make you a butterfly. Now that didn't go over so great with some of our guys. But the truth of the matter is we thought through some of the problems so we weren't crushed by them. We used them as ministry opportunities because that's exactly what Jesus did. Do you know that one of the gifts of the Spirit is administration? Jesus wasn't just doing whatever was in front of him. Jesus was planning ahead so that he could even do more ministry. And he wanted to do more than what was just in front of him. So he was making ministry happen. Now, while we need to do ministry with whatever ministry God places in front of us, we also need to plan. We need to prepare to do ministry, and we need to pray to do ministry. That's why we're taking the time today to put the Scripture into practice, to write a name on a label so that we can plan, we can prepare, and we can pray to minister the gospel to someone that's using the gift of administration. That's putting a boat out so that we can even do more ministry. Well, Jesus... He was planning ahead, but he was also doing what was right in front of him. 
He was ministering to people. He was healing those that were afflicted. He was casting out demons. As they were reaching out to him by faith, Jesus was healing them. Now, can I tell you something? Their motives of following Jesus was to get something from him. It was not to give. That's why they were following. We all have those kinds of friends. How many of you know when such and such a person calls, they want something? Do you have any of those friends? You know what I'm talking about, right? Or how many of you have kids? And you know when they call. I always go, hey. They go, hey, Dad, how you doing? I always, my next statement is, what do you want? My daughter always calls me around the month end because she knows the first of the month is coming and rent is due. Hey, Dad, you're my favorite. How, what do you want? I know what she wants. How many of you have those friends? How many of you are that kind of family? You know what I'm talking about. Jesus had those kind of followers. They were only following him to get something from him. But what I love about Jesus is he doesn't grow bitter. He doesn't grow resentful. He uses their motives to give them ministry so that he could plant the seed of the gospel. He knew that they were only following to get something from him, but he used it for the sake of the gospel so that he could plant the seed as he purposed to minister to them. He ministered to whoever came. He ministered whenever they came. He ministered to them however they came. He simply wanted to do the work of the ministry in order to plant the seed of the gospel. This was such a testimony of Jesus. Listen to what his half-brother, James, wrote about him. James would know better than anyone. Take a look. It's James chapter 1. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, do the work of the ministry. Don't just sit in the pew. You've got to learn it, and you've got to live it. Then he goes on. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forget what kind of man he was. What James is saying is you're a Christian. Don't forget who you are. Christians minister. And if you're not in ministry, you've forgotten who you are. Now take a look. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. We see this in the life of Jesus. He preached the gospel. He ministered to people's needs. And his ministry was growing. And now a great multitude is following him because he's a hearer and he's a doer of the word. Church, we've got to put the word of God into action. Now remember, Jesus is called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Jesus is setting an example for us of the Word of God in action. That's why I give you a challenge to change each week. I want you to take the Word that you've learned, and I want you to put it into action. And you will find That as you get more involved and as you get more faithful with the ministry that God has given you, whether it's in front of you or you plan to be a part of it, your ministry life is going to grow. If you're going to find a great multitude of ministry opportunity as you simply choose to be a doer of the word. Now I need to warn you. While doing the work, you need to prepare for war. 
Because as Jesus is walking along, the demons go, you are the son of God. Now I need to let you know something. Demons are real. Demons are real. Jesus knows they're so real that he's actually prepared a place to punish them because of how they torment believers. It's Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Look what Jesus said. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, whenever you go to do the work of the ministry, you make the enemy mad. Now, I need you to help me understand. The demons are announcing, you are the son of God. Now, I say it like that. I tell you again for a reason. When Satan decided to be God, he got kicked out of heaven. And when he got kicked out of heaven, a third of the angels, new name demons, followed him and went with him. That's what the Bible tells us. A third of the angels of heaven left God and followed after Satan. Biggest dummy move they could have ever have done. Those angels that left, they're called demons. They were from heaven, and they left, and they went to hell with the enemy where he resides. Okay? That's what they did. Now, let me tell you. If I took you to the Bahamas, there was only 375,000 Bahamians. If I took you to the Bahamas, and we were walking down the street, that's where I'm from, someone would walk up to us and go, oh, do you know Chet Lowe? Because they know me. That's where I'm from, and that's where they're from. The reason the demons are saying, you are the Son of God, they know. They're from the same place that Jesus is from. They're from heaven, and they left heaven and went to hell. So when they're saying, you are the Son of God, they know better than anybody because they were from heaven and left heaven. But Jesus doesn't want their advertising. Because when the Bible says they cried out, now you understand why I say, you are the Son of God. This word means like when you hit your thumb on a hammer and you cry out. Not the best sounds, right? Not the best sounds. It's a cry of pain. It's a cry of agony. And Jesus doesn't want this agony, painful cry as part of his advertising plan. So he tells the demons, I don't need your help. He silences them. Because let me tell you something, church. We can't do the work of the ministry in the way of the world. We don't need the world's help. We don't need the world and all of its gimmicks to attract people to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the word of God is the power of God unto salvation. And let me tell you what is the most powerful thing that you can do in ministering the gospel and doing the work of the ministry. Jesus Christ was crucified. Jesus Christ rose again. Jesus Christ is offering you salvation. That is the truth of the gospel. And I'm not ashamed of that gospel because it's the power of God. I don't need the world to tell me how I can win. Let me tell you, I get emails all the time. Let us help you win souls. And it's usually some marketing campaign. I don't need to market the gospel. It's its own power. I just need to preach it. Amen? 
Jesus, the crowd is growing and he realizes something. It's point number two. Maybe you'll write it down. He chooses to raise up disciples, that's what I'm doing, to do the work of the ministry. He chooses to raise up. Take a look. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. So he went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boagenes, that is, sons of thunder. Now Mark mentions people that he won't mention anymore in his book. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Church, the seed of the gospel had taken root. And now no longer is it a seed. It is a full-grown tree that is producing a lot of fruit. Multitudes are following Jesus. And Jesus knew he needed to raise up disciples to do the work. That's what I'm doing. That's what Pastor Mark is doing here in Mark chapter 3. He is purposing to teach the gospel to edify and equip the body for the work of the ministry. My job is to teach the word, to show us the way that Jesus ministered, and your job is to do the work of the ministry alongside of me. I will never have the chance to go into your world. That's why Jesus has placed you there. And so Jesus realizes he needs to go and pray. Take a look at what he taught in Matthew chapter 9. It's Matthew chapter 9, he sees another great multitude, and in Matthew 9 he says, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, he tells the disciples, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And what he chooses to do now in Mark chapter 3 is he chooses to go up on a mountain and he prays. That's what Luke tells us. It's Luke chapter 6. This is the same moment in history that Mark is letting us know. And in Luke chapter 6 verse 12, it came to pass in those days that he went to the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. He went to go pray for them. And he prayed all night for them when he went up on this mountain. And let me tell you why he prayed all night for them. Because he knows more than anyone the struggles of doing ministry. He knew what he was calling them to. And he knows when he's calling you to do the work of the ministry, what he's calling to you. And in Romans chapter 8, the Bible says he's still interceding on your behalf to God the Father. He prays for you. And so the Bible says in Mark 3.13, he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He called. He called to him. He called 12 guys to make them disciples because he wanted them to make disciples. And he's calling each and every one of us to do the same. Do you remember Matthew chapter 28? Go and make disciples in all the world. Go and make disciples. We are called the same way that they were called to make disciples. Now, you might be saying, well, how do I do that? 
Well, Mark gives us, as a great teacher, a few different ways for us to disciple. Would you go back and take a look at Mark chapter 3? He called to him, verse 13, those he himself wanted, and they came. When Jesus went up on the mountain to pray, I guarantee this was not his prayer. God, are you sure you want me to disciple these miserable people? I mean, Simon talks too much. James and John, they've got an anger problem. I'm going to call them the sons of thunder. I mean, these guys are worthless. Are you sure you want me to do that? No, that was not his prayer. He was praying for them. And Mark lets us know he didn't have to make disciples. He wanted to make disciples. He wasn't forced to do this from his father. This was something he wanted to do, and it should be something that each and every one of us want to do because Jesus wanted to do it. And because he wanted to, these guys felt loved. These guys felt embraced. These guys felt accepted. So when Jesus called them out, of course they wanted to go be with someone that wants to be around them. They felt embraced and loved and accepted. And let me tell you, when you want to disciple someone, well, you're going to be able to invest truth into their life because they feel loved by you. They feel embraced by you. They feel accepted. So when they do something that doesn't look like Christ and you invest the word of God into their life, they're willing to receive it. But the next word I want you to see in verse 14, then he appointed the 12. Because some of us are wondering, well, do I disciple someone? You're appointed to it. God has called each and every single one of us as believers to make disciples. And as we are appointed to make disciples, we should be appointing others to make disciples. And now what Mark does is tell us how to make disciples. He appointed the twelve that they might be with him. It's a very important word, with. They might be with him. Because discipleship happens in the context of life's relationship. I want you to think of the other Christians in your life. I want you to think of the other people that you're with on a daily basis. Well, I guarantee they are going to face life issues that will challenge their faith. And as a discipler and called and appointed to discipleship, when we are living with people and we are living with Christians and they have a life issue, when we pour the word of God into that life issue, guess what? We're discipling. My wife and I so believe in discipling We've moved someone into our home. His name is Eric. He lives with us. We wanted to disciple him. We prayed about who to disciple. So we moved someone into our home, as we've done almost every year of our marital life, so that we could disciple him as we did life together. He's part of our family dinners. We're part of his life. And as he's been facing his life challenges, we invest into him the word of God, and we're watching him grow as a believer. We're not following a program. We're not following a book. We're not following. We're just doing life together. And because I know just a little bit more of the word of God, I'm pouring the word of God into his life situations. I'm with him. But he's with us. The Bible goes on to say in verse 14, to send them out to preach. You see, discipleship involves on-the-job training. 
It's not just sitting and learning. It's learning to live. And Jesus doesn't just simply say, hey, come to church, learn, and then just go live your regular life. No, no, no. Listen, I'm going to send you out into the world, much like we close service and you go out into your car to go face your world, is what Jesus is asking us to do. He sends us out into our world to preach the gospel. It's not just about learning the word, it's about living the word as well. But he also provided power for them to heal and for them to cast out sickness. You see, discipleship involves knowing the Holy Spirit and relying on His power to do the work through you. I know some of you are concerned about doing the work of the ministry, even afraid, or making disciples. I know that. I speak to people all of the time. Well, I don't know where to serve. I don't know what to do. And I don't know if I can do it. And I don't know how to disciple. People are afraid all the time. And they allow fear to stop them from doing the work of the ministry or making disciples. But Jesus, when he sent the disciples, and let me say, they were a motley crew at best. Now think about the team that he picked. You have Simon the Zealot, who hated Rome, and Matthew, the tax collector that worked for Rome. And Jesus brought these two people together and said, let's make a team. He brought Simon Peter, who paid taxes to Matthew, and he brought Nathaniel, who was educated. I mean, he knew all of Scripture, and Peter, who didn't know much. And he said, let's make a team. God can use you. That's the beauty of these 12 disciples. And he taught them about the Holy Spirit so that they would be dependent on the Holy Spirit. And if you've got any fear in you about doing the work of the ministry, or you've got any fear in you about making a disciple, all you have to do is ask the Spirit of God to help you. At Harvest, I took about 6,363 photos. My face was frozen when I went home. I had a smile on for over four hours. When I went home, I was like massaging my cheeks, trying to get my face to stop smiling, okay? On picture 6,363, I was tired. But this family was so excited. I said, Spirit, help me and give me strength. And all of a sudden, (laughs) I had a smile that you can believe. And it came from the depth of my heart. But it wasn't me. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm dependent on him to do the work of the ministry. Now, let me tell you something. I need you to note that he sent them out to preach and he sent them out to do. He sent them out to heal. He sent them out to cast sicknesses. The two of them go together. Preaching and doing go hand in hand. You don't do and not preach, and you don't preach and not do. You do the preaching of the gospel and the doing of the work. Because if you just preach the gospel, people won't know you care about them. But if you just do the work of the ministry, people won't know how to get to heaven. So we've got to preach the gospel and do the work of the ministry and follow the example of Jesus. Now, if you're going to do the work of the ministry, I need to warn you. It's our final point. Maybe you'll write it down. We need to press on despite the pressure of doing the ministry. We need to press on 
despite the pressure of doing the ministry. Church, there's one wonderful thing about a diamond. It takes a lot of pressure on that rock to produce a beautiful diamond. And if anyone knew the importance of this statement to press on despite the pressure is Pastor Mark. Do you remember in the book of Acts? Pastor Mark felt the pressure of the ministry and he left Paul and Barnabas halfway through a mission trip. So if there's anyone to warn us about the pressure of doing ministry, it is Pastor Mark. And what he wants to do in the next section is make it very clear to us what it means to pick up your cross and follow him to do the work of the ministry. Take a look. It's Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then the multitude came together again. Now Jesus has gone into a house. Look at, continue in verse 20. So that they could not so much as eat bread. In other words, they went into this house, him and his 12 disciples, so that they could have something to eat. But there were so many people, they weren't even able to eat dinner. But when his own people, or his friends, heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. In other words, to grab him. Because, look, they said, he's out of his mind. One of the pressures that you're going to find in ministry is your friends are going to think you're crazy. Your friends are going to think you're crazy. Jesus has gone into this house. He's just going to get something to eat. The crowds follow him, and Jesus continues to minister because his whole life revolves around serving God. Do you remember in John chapter 4? The Bible says in John 4 that Jesus is weary, he's tired. Okay, kind of like our volunteers after Harvest Fest. God bless them. They showed up again Thursday to help us set up for food truck Thursday. They're tired. Jesus is weary in John chapter 4. So he sends the disciples into Samaria to go to Vons to pick up some food and bring it back. While he's gone, this woman comes to the well. Jesus begins to minister to her and lead her to the kingdom. She runs away, bumps into all the bags from Vaughn's of the disciples as they're going to make some lamb chops and Greek salad and some feta something, I'm sure. And there they are. They come in and first they see Jesus talking to a woman. But Jesus don't care. He don't care about culture. He cares about leading people to the kingdom. So Jesus, he's all refreshed. He's all rejuvenated. The disciples go, what, did you have some In-N-Out or Arby's or something? What's going on? Did you get some food? He goes, I got a food that you know nothing about. I am doing the will and the work of God. I'm doing the ministry and I'm refreshed because I'm serving God. You see, you might think that the ministry is going to wear you out, but Jesus sets the example for us that when you're doing the work of the ministry, it actually refreshes you. But your friends, they're going to think you're crazy. They're not going to get it. Let me tell you why. You're using your two-week vacation to go on a mission trip? You're nuts. Go to the Bahamas. Enjoy. Sit with the sun. Wait a second. You get one day off on Sunday and you serve at your church all day in kid life? You're with kids all day long on your day? You're crazy. You're nuts. I'll never forget when I went to Iran. A man walked up to me and goes, You're going to die in Iran. What in the world are you doing? 
I was a little hurt. I mean, it's like, you're trying to serve Jesus, like you're a Christian. He's one of my friends. He goes, what in the world are you doing? You can't go to Iran. You're going to die there. I've been twice, each for 10 to 14 days. Guess what? I didn't die. You know why? I'm nuts for Jesus. And I want everyone to hear the gospel. Now, I'm not saying one day I won't go and not die, but I am saying I haven't yet. Because God called me to do the work of the ministry. And some people will look and go, you're crazy and nuts. You're going to have to handle the pressure of your friends coming in thinking you're crazy. There's a way to do it. Pastor Mark, he goes on to tell us, take a look at Mark chapter 3, verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he's got another attack, he has Beelzebub. In other words, he's of Satan. And by the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. The religious leaders, they're desperate. They want to swing the tide of Jesus' ministry momentum. Let me tell you something. If you're going to do the work of the ministry, the enemy is going to attack. Because he does not, he would rather have you sitting in the seat than doing the work of the ministry. That's what he wants. He wants us all not to get involved. Because let me tell you, the last thing he wants is the person that you're praying for to get saved. It's the last thing he wants. He does not want God's kingdom to advance. He just doesn't want it to happen. So he is going to attack just like these scribes who have come from Jerusalem. That's Mark's way of saying they're like the big to-dos of the religious society. Now take a look what happens if you go on with me to verse 23. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables. Now stop there if you would. I love this. If you're taking note, purpose to stay on the offense. Don't go on the defense. Purpose to stay on the offense. The religious leader, they just want to stop Jesus' action. So they make this false accusation, and Jesus confronts them head on. He says to them, hey, you, are you accusing me? Come here. You're not going to talk. He doesn't do this. Oh, no. It's the big scribes from Jerusalem. Hey, disciples, let's just hum and walk away. Maybe they'll go away. Are they still there? Not Jesus. Jesus looks at him and goes, Hey, what are you saying? Come here. He doesn't take the hit. He throws the ball and he's about to score a touchdown and get the two point field. Listen, I want to show you. I want to show you this. Take a look with me, if you would, at verse 23. He says to him, How can Satan cast out Satan? In other words, your argument is ridiculous. Jesus is not taking the hit here. He is about to score a touchdown. Take a look what he says. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan, and note Jesus, believes that Satan exists. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house, that's what he refers to the enemy as, and plunder him, uh, his goods, unless he first binds the strong man. In other words, he's stronger than him, and then he will plunder his house. Let me tell you what Jesus does. He calls these guys over, he goes, your argument is ridiculous. Are you serious? That's all you got? Your argument makes no sense. 
Satan is not going to attack himself because that would be a self-defeating purpose. Come on, you got anything better than that? Jesus doesn't take the hint, the hit. He throws the ball and he scores a touchdown. Now listen, I'll tell you why. He doesn't walk away from these guys all wounded because they've attacked him. And the reason being is because Jesus loves them. And he wants to win over his enemy. So now he warns them to save them. Would you look with me at verse 28? Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said about him that Jesus has an unclean spirit. I was a lifeguard for many years. And I would warn people to save them on Fort Lauderdale Beach. I would put up a sign that says, Rip Current, don't go in the water. And I would warn them to save them. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He wants to win over his enemy. So he's warning them to save them. And he says, listen, you can say whatever you want about me. I'm going to die for you. And I'm going to be on the cross. And I'm going to say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You can say whatever you want about me. But when I'm gone, if you reject the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, I will not be here any longer. The Spirit, my Spirit will be here, and He will be seeking and saving the lost, knocking on your heart's door so that you could be saved if you reject Him your whole life and die. Your only hope is to be separated from God for eternity. To be with the devil and his angels. Hell was not prepared for humanity. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. And if you reject the ministry of the Spirit of God for a lifetime, I need to tell you something. No one in this room breathing has committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. No one breathing in this room has committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But you can. You can commit it. If you go your whole life and do not accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are rejecting the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. And when you die, there is only one hope for you, eternal condemnation, because you have blasphemed the Spirit. You have rejected His work in the world to seek and to save the lost. Church, we have the Holy Spirit in us, and He wants to use us to minister that truth. Now, there's some pressure in ministry, and there is a priority that you need to have. We'll close out the chapter here. Would you look at chapter 3? This is where we close. Then his brothers and his mother came. Now remember, his brothers didn't believe in him. And standing outside, they sent to him, calling him, and a multitude was sitting around him. In other words, they couldn't even get to Jesus because of the crowd that surrounded the house. And they said to him, look, the multitude says, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them saying, 
who is my brother or my, or my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, here are my, bro- my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Church, there are going to be pressures in ministry. And we've got to press on through the pressure of ministry. And the way that Pastor Mark is telling us to do it in the example of Jesus is make the will of God for your life your priority. Make the will of God your priority. You see, Jesus has picked 12 guys. And these 12 guys have created a new nation. There were 12 tribes of Israel... And he picked 12 guys and he formed the church with these 12 guys the same way that he formed Israel with 12, with 12 tribes. Now he's making a new family, a spiritual family. So do me a favor. Take a look at the person sitting next to you and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, go ahead, go and do it. Okay, some of you aren't doing it. And everyone's got that uncle or aunt in their family that hope they don't come to Thanksgiving, okay? Because all they do is sit in the back and they're just like a part of the family, but they're not a part of the family. Well, you know how you can tell family? We resemble each other. You know, when a baby's born, he's got your eyes. Aw, look. She's got your nose. Now, why do we do that? Are we just confirming that this is their child? I mean, I mean, honestly, you, can you really tell as a newborn? Like, they're just all swollen and like, it's like, wow. You know? When our first child was born, I was like, okay, he's healthy. I mean, it didn't look great, okay? I really said, actually, Andrea said that. Andrea, when she looked at Micaiah, you know, we thought babies come out looking like the Pampers baby. We didn't realize they look like that. So Andre goes, well, he's healthy. (laughs) But we resemble each other as family. You can look at a family member and go, oh, yeah, he's got his father's eyes. You can look at him and oh, he laughs just like his father. Oh, he smiles just like his daddy. Oh, she serves just like her mother. She cooks like, and she works like, just like her mom does. We resemble our family. And what Jesus is saying is you'll know your family when you're doing the will of God. That's what makes us resemble each other. And the will of God is that you fulfill your ministry. So the question becomes, are you ready? He's got a ministry for you. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm so grateful for Pastor Mark and how he has helped us understand the way and desire that you have for us to do ministry. And I just ask now that as we close out this service, that your Holy Spirit would do what he does best and move in the hearts of people. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.